Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 71, where I am going to be speaking with Amy Bond today. She is the owner of Poland Dance Studios and co-star of the recently released Netflix documentary, Stripped Down, Rise Up. She and her husband, Keith, opened their marriage a year ago after eight years of marriage. And Katie is out for the day, so it'll just be me. And we're going to delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths of our poly lives. So, Amy, I know I just gave you a little brief bio, but who are you? Um, yeah, so my name is Amy. I um, actually split my time between San Francisco and the Bay Area, where I live mostly, um, but recently bought a house in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I'm spending you know, like a quarter time up there, three-fourths time in the Bay Area, uh, I have three pole dance studios, um, Oakland, San Francisco, and Berkeley pole and dance here in the Bay Area. And I'm um, looking at opening uh, two new studios up in the PDX area as well. Wow. Um, yeah. So it will be a busy summer with that. Um, yeah. So my husband and Keith and I uh, have been married for almost nine years, actually. And we opened our marriage about a year ago. Um give or take some change and have been kind of on this wild, uh, you know, ethical non-monogamy journey ever since. How do you identify in terms of like my sexual orientation, sexual orientation, poly orientation, romantic orientation, whatever one you'd like to share? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, sexual orientation is always evolving. <laughs> I'm really into this like late onset lesbianism. World. <laughs> nice. Totally see myself going there. Um, but uh, obviously I'm married to a heterosis man and um, I go by she, her um, on like the, you know, if, if you've ever read the book polysecure, I would identify more on the ethical non-monogamy side. So um married my husband I call him ground zero um and I think we're kind of for us like a primary unit um but that's actually kind of shifted a lot too we always saw some you know when we first opened like you know we have to agree on each other's partners and we had all these rules that ultimately we broke immediately um <laughs> but I feel like it's almost like a journey towards that there's like the left-hand upper quadrant where you're monogamous and then you kind of go through ethical non-monogamy and then it, probably a little bit more towards relationship anarchy is in our future somewhere. <laughs> totally. And I feel that way too. Like my first poly relationship, there was a ton of roles. And then yeah. now coming into, you know, being poly for, uh, I think it's like 13 years this year, um, there are less rules and more just like general guidelines of being a kind person. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> All right. So um, what drew you to polyamory? Um, I think I just like had never considered it. <laughs> and, you 
know? And so it was never like, I was like, eh, polyamory. Um, but it was more just like, oh, monogamy is the default. And so that's kind of what me and my husband were for a really long time. Um, we really started to have conversations around dating other people when he started going up to Seattle for work like five days a week. And I remember he was, um, he was going up there a lot and he said one night after he'd gotten home and, and, you know, Seattle's always raining. And so the flights are always delayed and he had gotten home at like midnight on a Friday and he said, you know, I'm getting really lonely when I'm up there. Will you come with me? And that was his solution was for me that to go up to Seattle with him. And I, you know, I've run three businesses in the Bay area and, uh, I was like, uh, no, like, what do you want me to be just like some hotel wife, like stay at a Westin while you go like about your day and take meetings? Like, no, I'm not doing that. Like I have real work too. And um, so my solution was let's make you a dating profile. And then you have like a Seattle woman, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a Seattle girlfriend. And his eyes kind of like lit up like a kid in a candy store. And he was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And I was really busy at that point. I didn't really have a lot of time. I had just opened my second studio and was kind of getting that um, business off the ground. So I was like, great, this will be a good thing for my husband. He won't be lonely. I can be focused on my work. And, and he started dating. We had all these rules. A long story short, it did not go well. I, I think we were both confused about what our rules actually were. Like we hadn't set very specific boundaries. And um, after a romantic entanglement one night at, it, that he had had with a woman, uh, I called him the next day and he was like, oh, yeah, we had sex. It was great. And I was like, what? And, and I think in my head he was going to like tell me in advance. And then I was like, we shut it down. It was like a kind of a misfire And then a few months later in January of 2020, um, I started going to Portland a lot for a writing class that I was taking. So I was going every uh, Wednesday morning through Thursday up to Portland to take a writing class. And um, I was like, oh, this could be really fun to like date on a Wednesday night, you know? (laughs) So I I kind of like approached Keith like, hey, I know that we said we were that this doesn't work for us. And we had, but like, you know, people trial and error monogamy all the time. And I think that kernel once it had been implanted in my brain of like, oh, this could be an option where we're like honest with each other and we tell each other the truth and date other people. Like that kind of had grown over the, the four months in between the, no, we're shutting it down. We're back to monogamy. And um, hey, let's, why don't we both try dating other people? And we were at, we were at Sundance that weekend and, um, and we didn't get, like, it's really actually hard to get tickets at Sundance to like the movies. And so we ended up spending most of the time at the hotel room, just making each other dating profiles. <laughs> and it, it was super fun. It was like, it just felt like crazy. Like we were so naughty and like subversive. And now that I know so many people, like you said, you've been probably for 13 years, you're probably like just another day in the life of, but for us, it was just like insane that we were doing this. And, um, and so we made each other dating profiles and we're kind of like off to the races, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, I also felt like a kid in a candy store, just like, oh, there's so many delicious treats. I want to try them all, you know? And, um, and, 
I think after me too, I had kind of like lost faith in men, you know, like, I think I had kind of been like, uh, most men are not awesome. Luckily I got a good one and like good riddance, you know, and I run a business that's mostly with women. And I have to say dating men made me realize how many good men there are in the world. Like there's actually so many good men. And I think I had probably been um, a little bit too captivated by like a narrative about how, how all men are, are just the worst. And that kind of gets fed into by Twitter and by men behaving badly and doing uh, pro bono divorce law. Also, um, <laughs> you know, you kind of see the worst of the worst on a daily basis. Um, so, uh, and, and that's something I do on the side is just pro bono divorce cases. So, um, it, it was actually ended up being this really amazing experience of meeting so many emotionally intelligent men in uh, both Portland and the Bay Area and um, and like thinking of men as human beings again, like human beings with like strengths and 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 weaknesses. And that makes me sound so, like such a terrible human being, but it, it was really true for me. Um, and I started dating a man um I had always assumed like, oh, I'm just going to have like a calendar of like, it will be like Wednesday night. I date people. I dated somebody. And then like, that's it. It's just like casual friends with benefits thing. And you know, one of the first men I met, I, I fell in love with and he broke my heart. Yeah. And that was super sad. Um, and it was, of course, my husband, Keith, who was there to like comfort me, <laughs> you know, he'd be like, it's okay. There's more men out there. You're <laughs> You're great, honey, you know, and, um, and yeah, so I realized that like, actually what I, what I was really looking for was just deep, meaningful connection with other human beings. It didn't really matter if they were men or women or, or non-binary, but, um, like the meaningful connection part felt like the goal after a few months of, um, of the friends with benefits thing, it, it that just wasn't for me. And it, the part where, I really felt like I came alive as a human being was meeting so many people who brought out like these different parts of my personality. And I, I realized that I was showing up as a slightly different person in every relationship that I was in and, and not in a way that was like inauthentic, but just we show up as different versions of ourselves with different people. And that hadn't really occurred to me. I had just thought, well, I've been married for eight years, married to the man of my dreams. I freaking love him. So obviously I've wanted love, check, done. What do I want to win at next? And very type A personality. So that's kind of the way I thought about it. And um, and then, you know, as Keith and I started dating other people, I realized like there are a lot of places where I thought I was very secure that I would not feel jealousy where I did. And um, I think that's been probably the most interesting piece about ethical non-monogamy is you not only show up as different versions of yourself, but the parts of yourself that maybe are a little petty or ugly also become very clear and in the forefront. And that discomfort, I find super thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> in general, what does polyamory or ethical non-monogamy mean to you? Yeah, um, I mean... I just, I've, I've read polysecure like seven times. So there are like definitions in there. And I think polyamory is slightly differently defined from ethical non-monogamy. My husband and Keith and I are definitely more in the ethical non-monogamy boat. So 
you know, we used to say, well, whoever you date run by me first. And like, you know, we have to agree on each other's people. And then logistically that just didn't make a ton of sense. Like it was like, well, okay, are you going to meet them like immediately so that I don't fall in love with them first or, you know, and then I dated this other guy who's like his, his wife didn't like my abs. And so they would like cut oh. it off. And I was like, I would hate to do that to somebody yeah. <laughs> for something so trivial. That's so sad. Yeah, Right. It's like, Oh, you know, but obviously like, that's not about me. No. Um, and, um, and that's true when I don't like people either. Like if I don't like someone, it's probably because of something going on with me, not anything to do with them. Um, so it goes both ways, but I think for ethical non-monogamy, I do still kind of think is like, Keith, like I said, is like ground zero. That's where we're at. And um, and while I don't run people by him, I'm very thoughtful about, okay, how is my relationships with other people going to uh, have any effect on my husband? Or um, how, how do I want to spend my time so that uh, my husband still feels taken care of and valued and important. And um, those kind of considerations are running through the back of my head with most of the people I date or all of the people I date. And I, and I think the same goes for him. So what do you find difficult about being ethically non-monogamous? Yeah. Like I was saying the part about um, just really having to confront yourself. I think that's difficult. And there have been times when I didn't like somebody that my husband was dating, probably because it, brought up something for me about like something I didn't know that I had some insecurity about. Um, so, you know, my, my husband has a girlfriend who, um, is like, just very specifically, he has a girlfriend who's like very just, um, like unambitious is the wrong way to put it, but just, she's just very happily who she is and she's not striving to be more or better or faster, stronger, da, da, da. And that's like the exact opposite of me. I'm always like, uh, you know, personally, like, how can I be a better version of myself? I have a million checklists and, you know, uh, I'm always working on something, some project to like level up, like whatever it is, a skill or a talent or, you know, something. And, you know, I'm always taking some weird class to like learn something. And, um, and meeting this wonderful woman who's just like this gorgeous soul who's just like so happily who she is and and not striving to be more than that in in any like specifically obvious way i i was kind of like well is this like is this what my husband really wants like mm-hmm. somebody who's just like totally who they are and like d- isn't super ambitious and trying to be more bigger faster better and that made me think a lot about, you know, why do I have that? What is inside of me that makes me insecure about that? And, um, and that's led to a lot of personal growth, but it's been really uncomfortable to kind of, you know, the only way out is through, but to move through is uh, a lot, <laughs> regardless of what it is you're moving through. And that was something that was a big moment of um, growth for me. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like I feel very similar uh, in that, like, I'm always doing something. I'm always go, go, go. And when I meet other people who are just like, no, we're, we're good. I'm like, yeah, what is that? I don't understand. <laughs> it's so strange. 
strange and like lovely. And I'm so happy for you. And I will never be that. (laughs) And life must be so much more simple and stress-free. And that sounds amazing. But on the other hand, maybe I would be bored. I don't know. My my brain would maybe just be like firing too much to be able to sit down, be still. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I think so. So really getting to a place where I was not like personally affronted by that, but rather just oh, okay. And that's another person who brings on another side of my husband that is also just like, I'm going to be happily who I am right now. Uh, I love that for them. Yeah. (laughs) And that they can have that space together so I can go do my ambitious thing. (laughs) Totally. Uh, So you kind of mentioned this before, but when did you like come to know or start identifying um, that you were ethically non-monogamous? Yeah, it was really that conversation where... Keith said, come up to Seattle with me. And it was almost like a light bulb had gone off. And that doesn't happen a lot in adult age, I feel like. You know, it happens so much when you're a child where you're like, bing. And as an adult, it's so delightful when that happens where you're like, wait a minute. Like, I don't have to keep doing this thing I've always been doing. I There's another way. And, um, and I had read, I think I had read Esther Perel the previous summer, like her first book, not State of Affairs, but... Um, Yeah. And that, that really made me think more on like a theoretical level, not specifically to my marriage, but think like, huh, monogamy literally fails 50% of the time. And and I I do think, I just want to caveat that. I do think we have a bad definition of failure. Like if you've been married, like the Gates, they, they're getting a divorce, but they were married for 27 years. They raised, raised three beautiful kids and started what's arguably one of the most important global poverty foundations in the world. So to say divorce means failure, I think is quite uh, right. And ending isn't a failure. Yeah. And I feel like so much in the monogamy, like universe, uh, anything but death is a failure. And it's like, well, why is death a success? Like, what if you successfully end a relationship and you're happy? Like, that seems successful. Yeah. Totally. And like you built this amazing thing together and and now it's come to a what's probably a natural end. And so I just want to like caveat that I don't think of divorce as failure. But if so many monogamous marriages um, are ending in divorce and, and having done divorce law for uh, it's been like six years now um, as like a side thing, I don't, I don't do it full time, obviously. It, But um, I think there's something that I hear in uh, court memos and narratives that people tell themselves about like ownership over the person that they're married to that I'm really allergic to. And so, um, you know, if you feel like her having sex with this other guy or he, you know, had a friendship with this other person, um, and you couldn't control it even when you told them not to like, that just feels kind of icky to me. And, um, and I think that's a lot of what's behind domestic violence and what's behind emotional abuse and what's behind a lot of the uglier things that get involved when people believe deeply that marriage means ownership over someone. And there's something so refreshing about ethical non-monogamy where the sexual part is not owned. And then I think that goes deeper even with polyamory where um, like, there's not even like the ground zero thing I was talking about. Everybody's just kind of freely um, like getting to know each other's souls at a, a deeper level without saying, well, I only want to get to know you if, 
uh, if it means I'm going to like own you <laughs> or marry you, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I think there's something really healthy about that, that, that is healthier than monogamy. Uh, so our next question is, uh, when did you feel different from other folks? And uh, after watching the documentary and it kind of went into your background a bit, I don't know how much you want to share about like growing up, but I feel like you probably felt different from the people around you for a, a while, right? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I don't know. There's something about being marginalized that, and I'll just give a quick overview. I'm not everybody's watched this documentary that I'm in. It's called Strip Down, Rise Up. It's a documentary about women's empowerment through pole dancing um, that I co-started and it came out onto Netflix in February of 2021 this year. And, um, and my, my part of the story goes into a little bit about having grown up Mormon and then moving to LA to be an actress and then um, quickly realizing that I needed to make a lot of cash to like play the role of a starving artist in my own life. And so I got into the sex work industry. I was both a call girl um, and, a, and did porn. Uh, and I actually lost my virginity in porn. Um, and it was actually a really good experience. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> working with somebody who knew what he was doing, which I feel like is not true for most people when they're having sex for the first time. Um, but, you know, I had gone into the sex work industry with a lot of guilt. I was living kind of this double life, a good Mormon girl with a good Mormon boyfriend who I was going to get married in the Mormon temple to on weekends. And then on weekdays, like going to porn scenes and doing like gangbangs. You know? Wow. And like meeting clients at a Holiday Inn Express to like sexy massage. So, you know, like that's quite a dichotomous life. And if you think what you're doing is wrong, then, and I did as uh, still trying to be Mormon um, and thinking, okay, I'm just going to make cash in this industry and then I'm going to get out and then I'm going to go back to church and I get married to the Mormon temple and my plan is perfect, done, go. And, um, and when I left, what ultimately happened is I left both the Mormon church and, um, and porn within like eight months. And, uh, and then having been a sex worker and going back to kind of the muggle worlds, I realized how much shame people have around sex generally. And, you know, when people I wor worked with found out that I had done porn, it was always just this like big to do. And you could see the people kind of like whispering to each other, like, oh, they're, uh, that slut, uh, which is true. I like uh, self-identify as a slut. I love sex and with many people. And um, but it took a long time to be like happily shame free about that because so many people have so many hangups about sex generally, whether it's sex work or sex in relationships or any, any version of it. And I think what happens um, when you have an experience like that is that like people find you, like the people who are marginalized in the same way find you. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many people who have read some essay I've written about this and have published a lot of essays and written a book about this um, year of my life who have reached out and said, I was, I grew up Mormon and I did porn too, or I grew up Mormon and got into stripping. I grew up Mormon and da, da, da. And I also had all this sexual shame. And I also went through that thing that you explained. And um, I think you really find a, a real niche of people by having experiences like that. And so I actually don't feel different. I, uh, 
I think after some time, you know, I'd never talked when I worked for other people as I was going to, you know, community college or when I went to Berkeley or when I went to law school and when I worked in tech as, and as an attorney, I never talked about my experience during se doing sex work because I didn't want to make people uncomfortable. And I also didn't want it to be the only thing that they knew about me. And once people hear porn star, that's like literally you know, I would have friends who I had known for like 10 years. And they casually introduced me to a, a new person. They'd be like, oh, my friend, the, the, you know, the girl I told you about, the girl who did porn. And it's uh, like, but like, I, wait, I'm like more than that, but you know. Yeah. And then I finally was just like, oh, okay, that's just like the easy descriptor. And, you know, it's not about like, that's all you are. is this thing you did for six months when you were 20, but more just like, uh, it's kind of the thing that lodges in people's brains. Um, so... I never felt different from other people because anytime I talked about this, people came out of the woodworks. And especially since the movie, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, not only I relate to your, you know, rape stories, which I have multiples of, but also I relate to that very specific piece about having grown up in this ultra conservative religion and then getting out of it and then doing some form of sex work. And now here I am doing something that's not sex work or I'm still doing sex work and I'm happily doing sex work. Um, and so having that connection feels really deep to me. And it's, you know, you're kind of bonded to people when you've gone through so many things that are so similar and been marginalized in that kind of way. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I do feel like there are so many overlapping communities, whether it's like being nerdy and then being in the poly <laughs> community or, you know, there's so many people who go to Ren Fair all the time. I mean, that's kind of nerdy, actually, but like there are all these <laughs> different communities that overlap with polyamory that you really start finding like your people and then more of your people and more of your people. <laughs> you know, it's really cool. Yeah. And there's something interesting about sexual identity that too, that it's so personal and so intimate that if you're even willing to bring it up or talk about it, people are like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Finally, somebody's saying something that I can relate to because often people just aren't, aren't saying anything about sex. Yeah. So where are you in your poly journey? And uh, if you have any like poly goals, where do you hope to go? I mean, I, my husband and I talk about this. We walk to coffee every morning. Um, we go to Phil's here in the Bay Area. Shout out to Phil's. Um, they are take like 25 minutes to make a coffee, but it's always the best coffee. So we like order it and then we go on a walk to go get it. And half the time during our walks, we're like someday when we have a poly house and like, you know, it's like kitchen table polyamory. One of the first guys I ever went on a date with was like, oh, have you heard of um, kitchen table polyamory? I was like, no, what's that? And I grew up Mormon. So this is especially hilarious to me. He goes, oh, well, it's basically like how Mormons do it. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> where it's just like, you know, you and you're like your your husband's girlfriends and your boyfriends or his boyfriends or your girlfriends and you all just like eat breakfast at a kitchen table and like, okay, like um, you know, I'm not Mormon anymore, but that's not how Mormons do. Yeah. <laughs> not not all Mormons are polygamous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was like, I don't ever remember that growing <laughs> up. And I was pretty in it. Um, but yeah, and I thought that sounded insane. Like, like I was like, oh my God, that sounds so uncomfortable and so crazy. And that was last August. Like that was in August, like eight months ago. And, um, and, 
So uh, we've we've gone from okay, we date other people and we never meet them, and then like a month later, my husband brought one of his girlfriends and I brought one of my boyfriends. We said, "What if we go on a double date and we like meet each other's like people?" And that sounded insane. And I still have the text that I like, sent to my boyfriend. I said, "I know this sounds like the craziest thing ever, but what if we go on a double date and you like meet my husband and I meet his girlfriend and." I don't think he'd like done that before either. Cause he was like, well, like, how do we do it? Like, is it like we're on a date and they're on a date? And, and then we did it and it was like actually awesome. And so comfortable, even though I feel like society should tell you that that's actually, or does tell you that that sounds freaking crazy, which was the mindset that I was in. And he like kissed me in front of my husband. And I was like, ah, are you okay? Are you okay? Okay. We're all okay. Cool. And then my husband kissed his girlfriend and it was like, Oh, and, and I can't tell you watching my husband fall in love with, with women is like, I have so much compersion, like, and I, I think I have to explain that term to a lot of people, but you got it. Um, and like, I just get so much joy watching him discover himself with new people and watching him grow as a person with new people. And I know he feels the same for me. And that night, um, my boyfriend, I call him my Hawaii boyfriend. He lives in Hawaii. Um, he said, Oh, Keith and my husband, it's so nice to, um, it's so nice to have a metamor that I get along with. And I was like, Oh, what's a metamor? (laughs) (laughs) Still just like had no idea. And now we like me and my white boyfriend and my husband are like in a Slack together. And like, we have group texts and like, or, you know, we went on vacation with my mom recently, like the four of us, plus my brothers, five of us. And like, it just feels very natural. It feels very just right. And so, so you're um, open with your family, even though they're still religious or are they? <laughs> yeah, well, I have six brothers and sisters, like a good Mormon. So <laughs> I'm the oldest of seven. And I think, uh, you know, most of my family is in the military and, and I'm not. I went to Berkeley. And so I'm kind of the crazy one who moved to California and like maybe more of like the hippie of the family you know so I think my family really just I'm radically honest about everything uh, unless it's gonna expose somebody else and or somebody else's thing that's not mine to share and um And so, you know, my mom was like, wait, I'm going to meet your boyfriend and Keith, your husband at the same, does Keith know, you know, of course, I love it when people like, does your husband know you're dating people? Yeah. Uh, But that's like the default because we're like, well, you just cheat. That's how you date other people. And um, so I told my, when I started falling in love with my boyfriend, I told my mom, like, look, I'm really in love with this person and I can see him being a part of my life for a really long time. And, um, and I've had a lot of conversations about that with my brothers and sisters and they have various opinions. Some think it's crazy. Some think it's awesome. Some are also like, I think I'm ethically non-monogamous too. And, um, and so it's been a really cool, yeah. Journey of like sharing new people with my family and getting to share my family with new people too. And so, yeah, I'm super open with my family, I, I work for myself. I'd probably be a little bit more discreet if I didn't work for like a conservative group or for the, the government, or if I was a teacher or something like that. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think I also work for myself because I talk a lot about my life, regardless of whether it's having been a sex worker or being ethically not monogamous. And um, it just makes it a lot easier to not have to be discreet about my love life. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think you are ethically not monogamous? Oh, that's such a good question. And again, for anyone who hasn't read Polysecure, it's such a good book. Um, but there is one part of this book that said that um, of Polysecure, where the author says um, that some people think of ethical non-monogamy as like their sexual identity. And that really spoke to me. I think I, I feel more like I am who I really am as an ethically non-monogamous person than I did when I was monogamous. And my husband has even said that he's like, I've seen you like, I've seen you come alive in ways that I don't feel like we were when it was just us. And yeah, we're all like, we all contain multitudes. There's so much of ourselves that is left unexplored and, and relationships help us explore different parts of ourselves. And, um, and that part has been so just like feeling like a coming home almost like, oh, this is who I really am. Like, I like dating a lot of people and falling in love with a lot of people. And, um, and I feel more myself and more truly me than I did when it was just me and my husband. But that doesn't mean I love him less. It just means that uh, there's, you know, like the heart expands. It's not finite. Uh, and we have one more question before we take a quick break. Um, why did you agree to be interviewed today? So you messaged me. So why did you? Yeah, I messaged us? you guys. <laughs> yeah. How did you hear well, about I've, us? Yeah, I've listened to your podcast. Um, and you guys just did one. You seem like a lot of fun. So <laughs> you and your partner. And um, so I was like, oh, they seem like they'd be really fun to talk to. Um, and I like that you focus on like the stories of everyday people and, you know, there's so much extraordinary that exists in just regular people's stories. And so that, that was the main reason to, that I wanted to share my story. It's so many people have asked me, like, tell me about your journey to Polly. Like, how did that happen? And like, you know what, let me just <laughs> go on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. You share it like, that way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we are going to go on a short break and we will be right back. Hey there, interested in more polyamory uncensored content? You're in luck. We just started a blog, polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com. We're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns, polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews, and guest posts from authors like you. If you'd like to be a guest author, contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website. Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com and we're going to have some fun new poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right, and we are back with Amy to talk about sex work polyamory, the sex industry, and how all of those uh, intersect. So um, <laughs> when I was watching the documentary, I actually found it really funny, the interview with your partner, Keith, and you. And I don't know <laughs> if you guys were polyamorous when this was recorded or not. We weren't. No, you weren't. Oh, okay. Well, he had said something really cool that was like, you know, I see all of the boyfriends and husbands of other pole dancers come in and watch them and get super like jealous about 
uh, about like jealous of the pole, basically, like and how yeah. how crappy that is. And and your partner said like, and you shouldn't date those guys. There are many other guys out there. Don't date them. And I feel yeah. like that's so funny, and it's such a such a feeling that we'll sometimes have when it comes to like jealousy in in open relationships. It's like if you're dating someone who's super possessive, don't date that guy. He's <laughs> like there yeah. there are other fish in the sea. A lot. Go find someone yeah. else. Uh, so that was really funny to me. And that's funny that you guys weren't even open yet. No, <laughs> we weren't open yet. But um, this actually does happen a lot where students will say, hey, I've, I've loved pole dancing. It's been amazing. It's become the love of my life. I, pole dancers are different, I think, from like a lot of other athletes. Like we really get into it. Like it becomes like the center of everything <laughs> like pull. Okay. Like when I was in law school, by the, my three L year, I had like my ideal pull schedule on one screen. And then I scheduled in my law school classes around when I wanted to be pole dancing <laughs> and would like go up to New York every weekend to train at a studio up there. And like, you know, it was really, and 10 years later, I'm more addicted than even then. So it does become this just like all encompassing thing for a lot of people. And I think part of the, I, I would call it jealousy that a lot of men feel when their partners get really into pole is partially, well, you're spending so much time on this thing. But I think more than that, it's, well, why do you feel like you have to dress sexy? Like, why do you have to wear the short shorts? And why do you have to post your pictures on Instagram? And why just like, I think part of it is like, is the attention I give you not enough? Or like, why do you feel like you need to be a sexual being? And I get comments like this on my Instagram all the time where it's just, you know, like, why the heels? Those are stripper shoes. And it's like, they're, they're technical, like, why ballet shoes? You know, like, why a, a point shoe? And it's a technical tool to express a kind of movement that is different than, than pole dancing and bare feet. And, um, and I get a lot of comments, like I would never show my butt on the internet. And a lot of my ads for my businesses get rejected because it's women who are wearing not a lot of clothes. And that feels like I, for Facebook and Instagram specifically, it's, you know, a breaks community standards thing. But if I put a picture of a muscular looking man doing pole dancing in booty shorts, that's fine. So there really is this misogynistic undertone to a lot of what we default to in our culture and that manifests and mirrors itself and reflects itself in, in social media and just the default assumptions we have about um, how women are supposed to behave. And I read this really great quote from a um, comedian who said, and she's a pole dancer, I forgot her name, but she said something like um, the reason that men don't like it, like us, like wearing skimpy outfits is because they're not doing the undressing. Like we need to be clothed so that they can undress us. And, and like, they get to sexualize us. So if we sexualize ourselves, we're like taking away the game. It's like, and then it's like, wait, but I don't want you to own it. I want to have to like convince you to take it off or something, something yeah. like that. And I think that manifests in, in relationships too. And I've had so many conversations with women who are like, my husband's really uncomfortable with this and I don't know how to get him to the other side. And I want to say, well, just dump him. (laughs) Right. But I do truly believe that like, you don't get to choose who you love. Like love kind of happens to us 
that's my belief. I could be wrong, um, but that's how love happens. Love happens to me. I fall in love with people all the time and I never feel like it's a conscious choice like you. I'm going to fall in love with you. It's more like it just, you know, Cupid's arrow or, or whatever. <laughs> and um, and so that makes it more complicated. You don't just you can't just dump somebody who you're in love with. That's that's hard. And and some of the relationships that have gotten through to the other side have been long and frustrating for the women who are, are in, and some men. Um, but there's usually, you know, men pole dance, but there's usually I haven't yet met a man who has an issue whose husband or boyfriend or girlfriend has an issue with them pole dancing. Um, so I'm speaking specifically about women whose husbands um, are bothered. And yeah, I think it just makes it more complicated. You don't get to choose who you love and you don't get to choose how they feel. And all you can do is stay true to yourself. And sometimes that causes people to break up, but usually it just causes conflict in relationships. And that's hard. Well, and we chatted a little bit um, on our, our email correspondence beforehand about how, like, I work at a feminist sex toy store. And though yes. I don't, yes, yeah. And I don't, I don't identify as a sex worker, but I definitely identify with like being in the sex industry mm -hmm. and, and having like, you know, people do say, wow, that's a really weird job or, or, you know, <laughs> they ask a lot of questions about it because it isn't, it's not quite normal. It's not the nine to five office job. Right. But, yeah. um, but I also don't feel that I could like claim sex worker cause I don't have sex for money or I don't, you know, like do anything like that. It's just in that realm. And I feel like pole dance and pole fitness classes and stuff, they definitely aren't sex <laughs> work, but they're in the right. sex industry in that same kind of like outlier way. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I wonder often, so with, with these kind of jobs, as well as with sex work in general, um, do the partners of these folks have to be a little bit more open-minded because like, I know my husband is super open-minded. I know all the guys I date are super open-minded. And if I dated anyone who was like, wow, that's so weird. I can't imagine anyone doing that. I hate it. You know, I would just not date them. I just, I could not possibly imagine someone like liking someone who is, doesn't have an open mind about sex. Uh, yeah. And so I kind of wonder if that, if that's where there's an intersection of like polyamory and open-minded individuals are maybe mm -hmm. more likely to, to be pole dancers, burlesque dancers. I also do burlesque, <laughs> like, you know, like uh, have partners who are webcam models or mm -hmm. have an only fans because like, they're kind of already in that open-minded realm and, and can handle it maybe, or they have confronted their jealousy. I don't know. I, I, do you have any opinions on that? I mean, just super, like not in a data driven way. I think, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> I meet a lot more people in pole dancing who are like, Oh yeah, I've done sex work. Then I do say in CrossFit, Right, you know? right, <laughs> and I've done both, and and I meet more people in pole dancing who are like, oh yeah, I I'm in a poly relationship than I do in like gymnastics classes. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's something to the sensual nature of pole dancing that creates a kind of freedom of expression, and, or like a freedom within, or or even the people who come to pole, I think, are a little bit more like 
and especially more of a sexy style pole dancing because there's pole fitness and a lot of people who do pole fitness have never worn a pair of heels. They don't want to. They're here for the gymnastics and the tricks and that's what they do. And then there's kind of, you can roughly kind of divide it into two. And then there's the other side of people who are like really into heels and choreography and dance and the sensual movement and, um, and there's a lot of overlap between those two things. I, I do both. I love tricks. I love feeling like I'm flying and upside down and 14 feet in the air. But I also love naturally more um, throwing myself into dynamic moves on the floor in an eight inch platform. So um, like both are great, but there are some who are just like distinctly one or the other. So I think people who do more of the sensual side of movement are a little bit more just, uh, I don't know if the heels and the choreo create more of a sexual freedom or if people are drawn to that because they already have like a little bit more of a sexual, freely freely sexual side to them. Probably a mix of both. I've had students come to class who have literally like burst into tears during class. And, and that's actually a pretty normal experience. Say once a month, I have a student try a sensual movement class and then and then they start crying and they might leave and they might try to push through it, but it opens up something um, that maybe they didn't know was underneath the surface. And I think for a lot of people, and this is what Strip Down Rise Up is, is largely about, is that ends up being quite healing for a lot of people. And, you know, when you we're in a society where so many women are sexually assaulted and so many women are, are preyed on or are, are raped, then it, it creates a kind of like, well, it creates a, for many, a mentality of like, well, if I'm just not a sexual person, then that can't happen to me again. And then you show up after 10 years of that to a heels class and you're like, wait a minute, this feels really good. Why do I feel bad about that? What is this awakening for me? And for many and myself included, the, that kind of awakening and sensual movement and pushing into that is a, really a way of reclaiming your own body. For me, it was a way of reclaiming my own body and um, my sensuality on my own terms versus what a porn director thought an audience would like. And, um, and so, yeah, definitely there's overlap between, not to make this all about sex work and pull, there's definitely overwork between sex work and pull. And that's something that is an area in the pole dance world that is um, talked about a lot right now. Um, I think there was this movement like three years ago where a lot of pole dancers who were recreational pole dancers were putting like hashtag not a stripper on their, mm. on that their pose. That happened in the burlesque uh, like community as well a lot. Like, oh, we're doing burlesque, but we're not strippers. And then, you know, the more you get into like sex positivity, you're like, yeah, but there's nothing yeah. wrong with being a stripper. And also we are stripping our clothes up. We're fucking strippers. Yes, we are. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, totally. That's a great point. Yeah. You're wearing literally or you're wearing the outfit, you, you know, and I think there's something in Strip Down Rise Up where it's a lot about like, this is not for the male gaze, but I've had so many people say, well, actually the male gaze can be t- quite empowering, my friend, and I make money off of it. So go right. fuck yourself, you know, like, and, and I'm like, hell yeah, I love mm-hmm. that perspective. And that should be the next movie. Like, I want to he- I want to see the movie about women who are um, capitalizing off of the male gaze and how do you do it and how do you do it in a way where you don't get hurt? Because mm-hmm. There's a fine line between um, it being safe and 
and not being safe and it can switch like that. And that has been my experience where it switched like that. I thought I was in control and then I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think there's, there's really interesting stories still yet to be told on, on that side of it. So anyway, there's this whole, like not a stripper hashtag. And then the, the stripping community was like, what the the hell you're literally doing our movements that we created. And if you're a business owner like me, you're making money off of them. And now you're going to say not a stripper, like you're going to distance yourself. And we're the ones who get marginalized. We're the ones who get shadow banned. We're the ones who get kicked off of Instagram. And you get to go happily just like do your posts on Instagram and like be open about the fact that you recreational pole dance. I would be pissed too if I was them. And um, so for sure, there's a lot of overlap there. And I think within the pole community, there's been a bit of a reckoning and Strip Down, Rise Up, the movie has kind of brought that reckoning, I think, a little bit more to the forefront where we're really talking about it now. Um, So uh, that's good. And also people have a lot of strong feelings about it. I was also wondering about like the, you know, feeling um, more empowered by pole dancing and, and, and stripping in general and and more um, like ownership over your body autonomous and how that can't, uh, how that has to be a positive thing when it comes to getting into dating. Like if monogamous or polyamorous doesn't really matter, but I feel like being secure is such a big component uh, when it comes to successfully dating. And if you uh, like love your body, love yourself, going into Mm -hmm. poly dating, it makes it so much easier too, because you're not going to be comparing yourself or potentially like comparing yourself and then feeling super negative about it. If you love yourself, if you're secure in your relationship. Right. Yeah. So I'm wondering if like, that's just, I don't know. I'm like, should we tell all poly people, especially poly newbies to to take a pole dancing class? (laughs) (laughs) Somehow find a way to like love your body and empower yourself for self-love. Cause I feel like that has to be positive. I love that. I think everybody should try pole dancing unless there's a specific eye condition that makes you have uh, like a negative health effect. If you go upside down on a ball. So for those specific group of people, maybe don't go upside down, but just do a regular dance class. But yeah, I think, um, and this goes for men too. I can't tell you how many men and I'm very athletic and I, you know, we're, I'm dating this, dating dated so many men but you know by the time I take my clothes off I've had so many men be like oh my god I I'm so embarrassed to like take my clothes off or like I feel fat or like you know whatever and it's like great who who cares about that you know but like I I don't think it's just women I think that like that we live in a world with like billions of dollars shoved into the diet industry that tell everyone, not just women, women, men, everyone that our bodies are not enough. And if only we were skinnier, then we'd all be happier. And, and I think one of the nice things about pole dancing is that it takes the lens away from what does my body look like to what is my, what can my body do? And, you know, when you can throw yourself upside down and hold your entire body weight, while you're spinning in the air with like just the back of your knee pit, you feel pretty amazing. Like, I don't care who you are. That feels great. And, um, and so once it goes from, okay, what do I look like? And like constantly trying to be some version of like a Vogue model cover to how do I feel in my body and like bringing attention to that. I think things shift for a lot of people. Um, there, a lot of the insecurity go, 
is replaced with like a sense of accomplishment and a sense of strength. And, um, and that's true for a lot of sports. So, you know, that's not just whole specific, but I think that's true for a lot of different movement styles and practices. Um, so yeah, everyone should take pole dancing, just like you said. There's <laughs> <laughs> some version of it, you know, like, I don't know what, uh, what will make anyone else feel super sexy and empowered, but I know for me burlesque and, and if I yes. ever, if like, you know, when it's pandemic safe to do pole dancing, I definitely want to take a pole dancing class. But I know for me, that kind of stuff was empowering. It did make me love my body. It did make it easier to be poly, honestly, because like I was able to go out and date and not. And then when my partners would go out and date, I wasn't constantly like, well, they're thinner than me and they're prettier than me. And they're because I, I wasn't constantly questioning my own worth and value and beauty. You know, like I was like, no, I'm I'm great. I'm great with what I am and who I am. Mm-hmm. And if they're also great, awesome. You know, <laughs> like, so yeah. it helps so much. Like, and I, I talk about this in like poly uh, discussion groups all the time. Um, you really do have to like truly love yourself mm-hmm. to be able to love other people more. And that can be really challenging because some people have really, really hard feelings about themselves and low self-esteem. And they're like, but I deserve love too. And I, I do think that they do but it's so much easier if you love yourself yeah. first, you know, it's not yeah. essential. It's not hundred percent needed, but it's so much easier. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. And just to go to the burlesque piece, I mean, literally standing in front of a room of people removing, <laughs> if you can do it in front of a hundred people and on a theater stage, then that makes me, you know, getting naked with someone in a private room, probably so much easier. It brings so much more confidence to that very act. I think there's something too, you know, I think uh, this has been surprising to me, but um, like being able to ask for what you want sexually, like when you're in bed with someone, I, I have had so many men say some version of thank you for telling me what you want or thank you for asking for what you want. It's hard. Like I've, most women don't do that. Or my, most of my partners, I have to like beg them to tell me what they like or, you know, something like that. And that just comes really naturally for me. I don't know why. Um, but and, like, I think there's something to that too, that probably is related around like being able to confidently, um, like see what works for your body and then like readjust. Okay. That didn't work, but can I try this thing? Um, you know, as an athlete, uh, a pole athlete and for you as a burlesque dancer. And I think that translates to some kind of freedom and and knowledge of oneself in a bedroom experience as well. For sure. Yeah. And if you're more sexually aware, um, Mm -hmm. you're going to know what you like. And I do think that oftentimes, so often, unfortunately, uh, people, uh, generally women or uh, women identified folks don't know what they want because they haven't experimented with their body because they're shamed, you know, because society shames them about like female masturbation or exploring or having sex, you know, like the more sex I have, the more I know about sex, but society (laughs) tells me I should only have sex with one person ever in my life. It's like, well, then I'm going to be really dumb about sex. Like, I don't know. (laughs) So I didn't know I was into being dominated until I was. And I had had a conversation with somebody beforehand. I was like, maybe I'll try that. And then I was like super into it. You know? Yeah. And I I also had to experiment with it to know that 
it was a fantasy for me, but in reality, I'm not, I'm not super into it, but like, I love it in porn, oh. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, it's like, Oh, I think maybe yes, actually. No, if I try to gut check, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of do a lot of sexual things. You kind of have to try it and maybe try it twice, you know, just in case the partner is the problem and not the activity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that makes so much sense to me. Try it with different people because it might be person specific for sure. Yeah. Um, Oh, so something with like we had talked a little bit about like being public and being open with your family and stuff. But like, does being public as uh, either a pole dancer or you know like now with the documentary, a lot of your personal life has probably been uh, made public. But does that make dating more difficult or more easy? Maybe I don't know. Are you upfront with everyone on like a dating profile or during a first date about everything you do in life. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to get through on a first date. So, right. You know, if somebody asks, I'm like, here's where I've written about my experience as a sex worker Here's, you know, I don't generally point people to like, here's watch a documentary about me before we get started. I, I do often find that if somebody like Googles me before we date, then it often ends up creating a little bit of like a, they know everything about me. So then I'm working really hard to catch up and then uh, trying to learn a lot about them. Like, okay, well, like, but also I think there's something really positive about that because I'm a little shameless and it's all out there. And that helps other people feel less shame as well. Like, you know, uh, oh, I I relate to your rape story. So many men have told me that I've have had a rape story and Mm -hmm. I don't think you would get that on a first date unless you put it out there on the internet and they consumed it at some point long before the first date, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, and that's led to a lot of deep conversations about sexual assault and, and boundaries and, and just talking about sex generally. And, um, and I'm, I, my guess is that, those dates are generally a little bit deeper and go more in depth just because I don't really have a filter around my personal experience. And if they know that, then they're probably going to have less of a filter around theirs too. So um, yes, it definitely makes dating different. And, and professionally, I, I don't really, I, I mean, if I worked for other people, I think it would be probably different. I probably, you know, I date a couple, a unicorn for a couple and um, they are not open, but like he's a teacher, (laughs) you know, so they and their parents are very conservative and they worry about, you know, making their parents disappointed and and that kind of thing. So um, I just I can see why some people want to be more discreet. It's just not the way that uh, that I choose to kind of go about polyamory yeah absolutely i've dated a lot of people who are in the closet but i'm so far out of the closet that i was like i mean i use my real name in the podcast i i i talk about my life and my sex life and my past on the podcast a lot so if someone is has like listened to 71 episodes of me talking about you know sex and relationships (laughs) they have a lot of information about me and i have to go in sometimes into dates being like okay, so you know everything about me. Um, yeah. How about you? You know, <laughs> and it is, it, it can be weird. Uh, definitely weird. Sorry. Have you ever had, like, what's been a weird experience that's come out? Of, is there anyone that you can think of or has it generally been positive? Um, well, I would say that, so 
since having the podcast, like, so we've gone through so much of this podcast during the pandemic and I didn't date any new people during the pandemic. So that hasn't been much of an issue. Um, though I have matched with people on OkCupid and they were like, Hey, uh, there's this cool, I, I saw you were in the podcast. There's this really cool podcast I listened to called Polyamory Uncensored. And I'm like, cause on, <laughs> on OkCupid, I don't use my real name because I'm like, well, it's spelt weird and really easy to Google. And so I'm like, well, on my yeah. dating profile, I use a different name. And I was like, oh yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> like, that's weird, but that's cool. Um, and actually that's I invited, awesome. yeah, and I, I invited that person on the podcast to be interviewed. So that was even another layer of like, now let's get to know you, a uh, random person from the internet. Um, oh my God, that's so fun. Yeah. So it's you know what, really I, will say, I will say too, I'm a little bit of like a, uh, quietly investigative investigating everybody before I go on a date with them. So I can uncover quite a bit and I don't think most people do that. <laughs> right. I, I usually know a lot about people because I've like looked through profiles or, you know, like gone uh, uh, late at night to the depths of the internet to learn something as much as I can. And so um, sometimes it al- also feels like I'm, we're just meeting in the middle. Now I know about you. Let me ask you about these things that I read about and same for you and let's go from there. <laughs> because I also host a, a poly discussion group. And so I'm in the yes. small community that we have. I know almost everyone in the poly community because I, I run a discussion group. And so I'm always leading these discussions and meeting new poly people. But because of that, I also get to hear almost like a, like a communal therapist or something. I get to hear all of the stories from all of the different people in the groups. And if I eventually like have an interest or they have an interest in me, I kind of have already heard their story potentially or their partner story or their partner's partner stories, you know, like, so sometimes <laughs> I already have a lot of information because I'm like, I don't know, the, like one of the leaders of the community. Uh, so that can be interesting as well. You know, I'll know people like I know my husband, two years of just friendship with him before we ever started going on a date. So we knew each other really, really well, you know? Wow. Yeah. And that's pretty common, honestly, for me, I, I, I identify a little bit more closely to a demisexual. So I kind of have to know someone and be connected to them before I start yeah. really feeling like sexual energy with them. And so a lot of my partners I have known for years before we started dating. Um, not always. That's not always the case. Like sometimes I, I said that I, I might have said this on the podcast once, like I went to a swingers resort in Mexico and oh you know, it, it was really fun. It was amazing. But in my head, I'm like, I'm a demisexual. I'm never going to be able to create this connection with somebody to be able to have sex with someone the day of. Yeah, and then I was yeah. like, I realized, no, you can create an, a connection with somebody in a couple hours. Like, <laughs> like if you try, uh, you can do that. I, yeah. I think I most identify as sapiosexual. Is that the same thing as demisexual where it's like, or is demi more like spiritual? I would say demi is more like um, you kind of have to have just an, an, a, a connection with somebody and maybe like intellectually, like I think sapiosexual is like intellectual connection. Mm-hmm. But demi, I think I, I want to say it's more like you're asexual until you find that connection with somebody and then you mm-hmm. are sexual with them okay, or, or for them. Right. So oftentimes I don't have a lot of like sexual attraction to strangers because I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if they're a feminist. You know, I don't know if they voted for <laughs> Trump. You know, like I don't know. I, I don't know anything about them. And, and there's so many things in my head that like are deal breakers that I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know them. I can't have a sexual relationship with somebody that I don't know is a good person. 
And then it, yeah. once I know that about them, then I can, then the, the, you know, like little things in my brain start firing or like, Ooh, they're really sexy. Ooh, they're really hot. Oh, I like the way that they look, you know? <laughs> um, so I feel like that's demi for me and I, other people definitely define it differently, but, and then I've heard sapiosexual is more just like, uh, an intellectual connection, yeah. right? And that's what I get really turned on when people show me their spreadsheets. Like when somebody yeah. shows me a spreadsheet of something they do, or like yeah. they're where they track their stuff in their life, I'm just like, mm, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> well, and I had joked that like at uh, at this swingers resort, somebody made kind of a come on joke, um, but it was based in uh, a Hamilton lyric, and I love oh, yes. Hamilton. And I was like, <laughs> done. I was like, done. That was great. I loved Could that. Did he say he was that. not throwing away a shot? <laughs> uh, no, he said if it took um, coming to Mexico for us to meet, then um, that, that ha- it was all worth it. And I was like, oh, uh, my God, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I wonder, though, like, is it? Is there because you're in this leadership position, these groups like does that make it harder to connect with people or does it feel like a power imbalance at all or? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do feel like there's like this like um, and again, I'm not a therapist and I never say that I am or anything like that. I'm not a relationship coach, but it feels like a a patient client, you know, relationship where where I shouldn't ever cross that line. So oftentimes I try to date folks who aren't in my group. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Right. I met my husband, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but like, you know, uh, sometimes I, I, or people who are new to the group who I don't know anything about, like maybe they, I feel a little bit safer going on a date with them, but yeah, it can yeah. be a weird kind of power imbalance. And I, and I think that other people are intimidated by that as well. And are like, yeah, you know, yeah. things about me. I don't want to date you. You know, like that's totally fair. And I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Like that wasn't the real me <laughs> right. starting over. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, and sometimes it's a good thing, you know, I get to know, um, yeah. you know, I might be like somewhat attracted to somebody and then I hear about like, I don't know, all of their different exes and I'm like, Oh, wow. Yeah. So they, they have some things to work through. Maybe I should. Hold off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're getting a lot of very relevant information. Like you wouldn't be able to get that information really any other way. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a privilege. It's a, but it's a curse, you know, right. It's both. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I, I read one of your uh, articles about like sex work and, and stripping as, as a form of healing. And I kind of, yeah. I would love to go into that a little bit um, because I, I do think that when it comes to, you know, empowerment and, and self-love, it can definitely be a really good way uh, to find yourself, to heal past maybe trauma or heartache. Um, but I don't know if, if you want to speak to that a little bit of like how, how that experience has been for you of like finding, uh, healing. Yeah. You know, um, I definitely feel like, yeah, like I said earlier, a little bit, I spoke to this about how I had just learned my sexuality in like, in like just so fast. Like I, I my whole life, I was like, you're not a sexual person. You're not a sexual person. The only reason you're to be sexual is so that you can bear children and be a good mom. And that's really what I believed growing up. And I was very Mormon. I was very into my religion. I loved it. I was kind of an extremist, to be honest. (laughs) When I get into things, I really get into them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then when that kind of switch happened when I was 
night as to just turned 20 um to doing porn i it was like a fast track like a crash course in sexuality who are you as a sexual person and i learned from mostly men and men who were directing porn scenes and men in hotel rooms who told me what they wanted and so after kind of that crash course which learned a lot of valuable things um and then like going into the world and like dating people just as me and like not uh, um, as a sex worker anymore. Um, I think I hadn't really, and I only dated men. So I wasn't really bisexual until recently. And, um, and so I knew what sexuality was through the lens of what men wanted, but I had not considered what my sexuality was for what I wanted. And that really didn't happen for me until I took my first pole class and we did this move called vagina monster where you like sit on your butt and you like shuffle your legs in the air. And, <laughs> and I was learning how to dance from a stripper and she was just so like unabashedly sexual and like she was having so much fun in her body, in her skin. And I remember just thinking like, I want to be like that. And her version of sexuality and like what felt good for her and what felt sensual and what felt hot, like what makes you feel like fucking hottest bitch ever, you know, like that's different if you're doing it for yourself versus if there's somebody watching for me. And um, so it was really sensual movement was this way of thinking like, what makes me feel good? Like, you know, I love a, I love a reverse body wave where I like have to tuck my pelvis and then kind of like, you know, move the body wave up and throwing up like a cat. I think that's really hot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure like that that would translate to like making cash in a sex scene if it was like sex work, you know, so, or if like dudes find that hot, but if I'm dancing for myself and I've spent, I've, you know, now spent 10 years dancing in, in pole dance studios and teaching pole and learn and training pole. And, um, and what feels good for me is just a different thing. And, and I have the tools to be able to explore it through movement and through dance and through heels technique. And, um, so that's the part that, it makes me feel more whole as a person. I think so much of, you know, growing up Mormon and I think just in general in like a puritanical Christian society where we think, okay, we don't have to be sexual. In fact, it would be better if we just weren't sexual. So let's just make ourselves unsexual in the world. And, you know, like teenage girls are taught, don't wear short shorts because you're going to distract boys in your class and then they won't be able to learn. And so like hide your sexuality for the good of society. And um, I think we're all kind of taught that on some level, including men. And so, okay, now I have a safe place to explore this. Um, what is my sexuality and, and really like pushing into that and, and knowing my sexual identity makes me a more fuller version of myself, just like polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, exploring myself in different relationships and exploring new partners also makes me feel like a fuller version of myself and rounder, not flat. And I love that. One thing I like to ask is I always like to ask, like, when it comes to our topic, um, what kind of advice you have for people who are maybe dealing with this topic? And obviously, we're kind of we, we've brushed on a lot of different things. But do you have any advice for folks who are maybe interested in, I guess, specifically, like, either poll or, or sex work or something, but their partners maybe aren't totally on board? I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that, though. Like, have you ever had to have a have you ever had a partner who was like, 
no, this isn't okay. And I'm not okay with it. No, no yeah, <laughs> I haven't either. So I'm like, I don't have any advice. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know. Well, I will say, I will say this. When, when I was a sex worker, the reason I got out of sex work is because I dated a man who told me that all I would be in this world as a whole if I kept being a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And that led me to a really abusive relationship. And physically abusive, emotionally, and and sexually abusive. And that just, you know, looking back on that experience, it just so much of sexuality and women's sexuality can be flipped and used against us. So even though I knew that I was having an amazing experience being a sexual person and like, uh, and I love, I really loved doing porn. It was it was such an awakening for me. Becoming a sexual person was an awakening for me. But all it took was for one guy to tell me that society was going to hate me and I would never find a job and I never go to college and I never do. And, you know, I grew up, my mom had taught me that going to college and getting a job was necessary because if you didn't do those two things, you would be trapped by a man and the man would beat you. And that is, I think, a pretty common narrative from my mother's generation and and also a true story for a lot of women who didn't have financial independence. And so that he had kind of like plugged into something that I already subconsciously believed about how... um, about like women's lack of, of job opportunity or lack or ability to be dependent on men would lead to them being abused in the world. And he had somehow tapped into that and convinced me that that was going to happen to me if I didn't leave sex work, even though the experience was mostly wonderful uh, on a personal level. And I knew that I was worried about what society would think. And he was giving me the words of what he thought society was going to, was how society was going to treat me. And he was, actually kind of right. If I hadn't like kept it all a secret, I'm not sure I could have even gone to law school or I'm not sure I would have even been able to transfer to Berkeley or, you know, do a lot of steps. Um, But what's ironic is that ultimately led me to an abusive relationship where he had a lot of power over me. And, um, you know, even though I was the one working and making money, I would like give it to him. And then I was like financially dependent on somebody who was like taking my money. And so he was honestly probably like my darkest teacher. I learned so much from that relationship and so much about how our sexuality can be used against us as women. And, um, and so I really, I think that like really made me very mission driven in building my pole dance studios. Like I wanted to create spaces for women to feel safe in their sexuality and women to feel like they had a place where they could go, where they could be fully embodied and in their sexuality if they wanted to be and do tricks and cool stuff if they just wanted to do like the trick stuff. But, um, you know, so many people have told me or written me emails or I jeep me to say like, you know, this has changed my life and this has healed me. And, and that was my story too. Very cool. Well, speaking of, do you have any, like anything you want to plug or promote when it comes to your your businesses or your uh, writing? I don't know. Yeah. Um, if you want to see just cool dance stuff that I do, I'm on Instagram at Amy Sunshine 007. My last name is Bond. So you, that's my last name. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and um, I post all my writing links at amybondwrites.com. And if you want to check out a pole dance class in the Bay Area, we have uh, San Francisco pole and dance.com, Oakland pole and dance.com, and um, Berkeley pole and dance.com, our newest studio. Those are all the things. <laughs> 
That's really awesome. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I love how my, many things you do, because I also, when I, when I give people my bio, they're like, <laughs> how, when, when do you sleep? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, sometimes I sleep. I, it's some, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. There's like, how much do you sleep? Do you sleep a lot or a little? Um, I would say that I, I try to get seven to eight hours in every night because I, I do really need sleep. I couldn't do all the things that I love doing if I didn't sleep enough. So I try to get, I feel the same way. I have a four-year-old daughter. So occasionally that gets disrupted, but, uh, but no, I, I really do love and appreciate sleep. (laughs) A hundred percent. I feel like so many people are like, Oh, you must not sleep. That's how you get things done. It's like, no, I get things done because I sleep for eight hours a night. It's like non-negotiable, but it can be a young toddler. (laughs) makes that harder, which happy mother's day. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. This was so much fun. Oh my gosh. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. If you ever do another um, like show or have anything else to, to promote, let us know. We'll, we'll keep updating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. This has been great. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughtful questions and, um, and letting me come on. This has been so much fun. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.